0: Yo, it's your man, Chris Mallon, and you're listening to Heart of the Game. Today, our special guest was once hailed as the female Jerry Maguire by CNN, representing a number of high-profile athletes, coaches, and media personalities as a sports agent. She's also inspired audiences around the world as a keynote speaker, while drawing on success stories from her former life as an agent and sharing lessons learned from the best. Molly Fletcher so excited to have you on the show today
1: absolutely it's a treat to be with you thanks for having me
0: Molly I was fortunate enough to hear you speak to my company and your personal story of how you got started is amazing you clearly demonstrated a lot of heart and hustle that is personally inspiring to me can you share with the audience a little bit of your story on how you got started
1: yeah for sure So, you know, I I played tennis at Michigan State. And after I graduated, I looked at my parents and I said, look, I want to move to Atlanta to try to get a job in sports and grew up in East Lansing, went to Michigan State, right? Like lived in this little two mile radius, right? For, you know, most of my life. And so my parents thought, well, you know, how are you going to pay for a little excursion to Atlanta? So long story short, I taught tennis, saved about 2000 bucks, got down to Atlanta without a job. I, I had my car, but I had no job. I was able to sleep on a friend's couch for little bit until I could figure it out. Long story short, I negotiated a deal to live at an apartment complex in exchange for my rent and teach tennis to the residents. So I, you know, I'd kind of gotten across the street and gotten this pizza company to hook us up with free pizza. I got this, you know, I'd had some tennis tips I'd written for a magazine in Lansing. I sort of wanted to reuse those to get people excited about the program. And, I got Wilson to send sporting, you know, good sort of gear that I could give away. So I, I always sort of think that sometimes in life we've got to act like we have the business before we have the business. You know, we got to behave in a way that sends a message to people that this relationship matters a lot to me. In fact, it matters so much that I'm going to start doing some things right now to show you what it might be like. And so I, uh, so I did that. And and long story short, then I was able to kind of take my time a little bit more because I'd remove this significant expense. But not too much time. And, you know, I got a job with the Super Bowl host committee. Um, You know, as I say on my resume at the time, I said I was the liaison between, you know, the NFL, the commissioner, um, you know, volunteers, the fans. And, you know, actually, Chris, I answered the phone, but I was the liaison. I think that sounds right. You know, so. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, so I did that, um, and I met a ton of people in Atlanta when I had that opportunity. I met, you know, leaders in marketing at Coke and UPS and Chick Fil A and all these folks that were involved in the Super Bowl, and you know, believe in, you know, sort of when you ask for advice, you get a job, and when you ask for a job, you get advice. And so I got in front of some wonderful people who were really, really kind to me and gave me advice and helped me navigate and network until I got an opportunity at a small agency in Atlanta to to help with the athlete representation side. And so that sort of began that journey as a sports agent.
0: So first of all, that is so cool how you got started there. And a lot of people, I think, especially if you've seen that movie, Jerry Maguire, you're like, oh man, I want to be a sports agent. Who was the first client that you had?
1: Well, so when I started the agency, we had a couple, one baseball player and a couple NBA coaches. And so after my role was to go get endorsement deals, right? And and so we had a middle infielder for the Braves, but I I was getting endorsement deals for the players that we worked with and, you know, autograph signings, appearances, speaking engagements, all that. But then I saw a bigger opportunity to go recruit guys and gals and and, and build it more. And and I thought, you know, probably like most of us, right? I wasn't going to go after A-Rod or Jeter right out of the gates, right? I had to go you know, down to Georgia Tech, which was 15 minutes away and lean on that fence and try to pick off guys that were coming out in the draft, really high round guys, projected players. So, you know, I, I would go down to the Georgia Tech field and I would lean on that fence with scouts and parents and coaches and got to know the head coach really well and scouts well and built some relationships. And then they helped me. And so that year I signed a first rounder, I think, and a third round guy, a couple different guys that were top round picks. Those guys sort of percolated through the minor leagues. And every year I would sort of get a couple young guys coming out in the draft. And then I would go see the guys that I had in the minor leagues. And, you know, when I would go see them, they're all on different teams. So then I'd be able to kind of sort of push out through my network guys on different teams and different minor league clubhouses that also, you know, were navigating relationships and 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 playing with other, you know, top round players. So I'd get those guys to bring those other top round guys to dinner. And you know, build relationships with them, get curious, discover their gaps, and then begin to recruit those players. So, you know, it was sort of a journey starting sort of down at Georgia Tech and then, you know, Georgia a little bit. And then those guys would get through the minor leagues. And then, you know, 50% of first round guys make it to the big leagues. And then you start having big league guys and networking with them and getting their support and help and recruiting other players. And, you know, it just continued to, you know, evolve really authentically and and through relationships and through connection and through you know, obviously, a lot of hard work and all that kind of stuff, and and then I kind of did it again with golf, and and did it again with you know college coaches, and you know my favorite part about the business truly was the relationship component, having an opportunity to build relationships with people who often don't trust very easily, and getting them to to recognize that I could really help them navigate a really unique and special window of time, uh, which which obviously is unique and special, and so. Long answer to your story, but that was sort of how I got my first couple guys.
0: So I know from some of the research that I've done preparing for this interview, you, and I, I've heard you talk about this. You just mentioned this a little bit. You talk a little bit about the importance of being relational and not transactional. And you mentioned that's really important. Why, why is that so important? Can you elaborate on that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if if we're doing deals or building, uh, whether we're in sales, whether it's internal, whether it's external, I believe relationships are integral to all of our success in business, right? No, no matter what industry you are, our ability to be human and to connect with other people, I think is key. And so, you know, for me as an agent, it was all about relationships with the general managers or the manufacturer reps, if it was golf or baseball or you know, athletic directors or executives at, at networks. It was all about building great relationships so that they trust you. I think at the end of the day, people want to really know, you know, do I like you? Can I trust you? And can you help me? And, and, and they want to know the answer to those three questions. And so when you can demonstrate that you can, you know, to me, that's integral. And I think, you know, as an agent, you're, you're negotiating a deal with an athletic director or a general manager for a player. But chances are good. If you're good at what you do, you're gonna need to go back to that GM, back to that AD, back to that network executive. And they're not gonna take your call if they don't like, respect, and trust you. And so for me as an agent, it was integral to build great relationships. And I think for most people in business, right? Unless you're in a business where you're trying to close deals with one person one time, which there's not a lot of businesses like that, then you wanna stay relational. Because if you get transactional, I believe, Anybody else can jump in there and take that business, sort of insert themselves in the middle. If you build relationships, you know, it becomes harder for the people that we call on, that are customers to take meetings with people that we compete with. And I, I saw this firsthand as an agent, when my guys would finish games, they'd come back to their hotel room if they're, or their hotel, if they're in a way, you know, if they were away and, and, and agents would be waiting in the hotel lobby to try to take them to a steak dinner or to whatever they go do. Right. And. And so I had to build amazing relationships so that my guys would walk right by every single one of those other agents and say, hey, I'm good. You know, I'm going to bed. I'm all set. And to me, the only way you can do that is if you're
0: relational. Wow. And so that kind of leads into another question I had for you, which was, you know, a lot of people, they've seen the movie Jerry Maguire, but how accurate is that movie as a sports agent? And also, did you ever have an athlete yell at you, show me the money? (laughs) (laughs)
1: You know, uh, I I mean, it's accurate in the sense that, uh, you know, I mean, the the level of support that sometimes you need to provide players, but, you know, he, I, he had one client in that movie, right? We had, I had 300, I mean, you know, so, uh, and as stressed out as he was, I mean, I don't, I don't think I was 300 times that stressed out, but it was pretty busy. You know, one time it was pretty funny. Smoltz was coming up to the office. He was one of our guys and he was coming up to the office and he went and got this, clear suitcase of chocolate candy and it was all coins but you know the chocolate covered little coins and John's sort of a practical joker and he comes walking up to the office down the hallway all pumped up show me the money you know and he's carrying his it was hilarious (laughs) so uh not in a real sense but certainly John was always trying to pull pull shenanigans and that was one of them
0: was John Smoltz, would you say that he's one of the bigger personalities of the different people that you represented? Or, or was there one that really sticks out to you as, as being just a huge personality?
1: Yeah, you know, J- John was and is. I mean, he is an outstanding human being who also obviously happens to be really good at calling games now and was a head a yeah. pitcher. Um, you know, Doc Rivers is a lot of fun, big personality. Ernie Johnson, I mean, he has an amazing ability in the booth to to you know bookend right these two big personalities yeah and 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 so you know it, it, golfers are probably the most subdued guys that I had, right They're a little more you know sort of cerebral, introspective, you know, they play an in individual sports, they're a little bit uh, more in, sort of inside of those characteristics. but um you know small two was always what is a big personality, big personality, right walks into a room and kind of owns it, Johns that way too when he wants to be. Um, so yeah, but he, he's, uh, you know, fortunately we, we were able to work with people who, you know, were absolutely gifted in the work that they did, but most importantly, they were good people. And that's what made sort of those big personalities fun.
0: Does that change how you negotiate with somebody understanding their personality? Does that that affect that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think you've got to, you know, one of the things we have a, a negotiation training program and we teach that. You're you're able to navigate those conversations more effectively when you know you know who you're negotiating with, and certainly what matters most to the person you're negotiating with and or for. So I I think it's significant. I mean I remember we were negotiating Ernie Johnson's contract with Turner, and you know we were we were doing a great job. The terms were terrific, and EJ came up to the office and we walked him through where we were, and I said, look, EJ, there's there's more money here. I mean there's more that we can we can do with this deal, and he said, you know what, guys, this is this is more money than I ever thought I'd make. He's like, I'm good. He said, but wow. I'll tell you what I'd love to be able to do. He said, I'd love to be able to bring Michael up to the set, his son, who's severely disabled. And he said, you know, man, I mean, if we could get him some Converse shoes with his name on it, you know, and he's in a wheelchair, he's never going to walk. But EJ said, man, if I could bring him up to the to the booth and have him hang out some, and if we could do some special things where he could be a part of some of my special moments, if we could get Converse, he loves Converse, if we could get him some shoes made, That'd be cool. So let's not get more. Let's do some of these other things. And so you have to know what matters most to your client because without that level of guidance, we could have maybe gotten him more money, but that's not what mattered to him. And so, you know, that, and that is our role to do what matters most to the player that we represent. It's not about us. It's about them.
0: First of all, I, I, I love Ernie Johnson. I'm a huge NBA fan. I used to work in the NBA and uh, so that is really cool to hear that little aspect about Ernie. That's, thank you for sharing that with us. Right. And um, you talked a bit about negotiation there. Uh, is, is there something you normally face as like usually the biggest challenge in a negotiation? How, how do you how do you go about attacking a negotiation or, or working through a negotiation?
1: Well, I mean, I think some of the most common mistakes that I see happen is I think a lot of times when people are negotiating, they spend a ton of energy and time getting clear on all the things that they want, right? How much, you know, everything they want—the terms, the comp, the everything—and not enough time worrying about what matters most to the other side. And so, what what I always found to be incredibly important is to be really prepared because these are weird conversations. They zigzag; they're not linear. So the more prepared you are, the more effective you can be in navigating the conversation effectively. I I think that one of the things that I always try to do inside of any difficult conversation, which is really what negotiation is, is to be incredibly curious. You know, I think that sometimes when we're dealing with people that we think are difficult, maybe they're just different. Maybe they're not difficult. They're just different than us. Maybe what matters Mm -hmm. most to them is Financial and what matters most to you is sort of the logistics or the strategic components of the deal. So we we've got to know who we're negotiating with. We've got to know what matters most to them. And 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 we've got to prepare because the more prepared we are, the better job we can do asking great questions along the way so that we can get into the head and the heart of the person that we're navigating the conversation with. I, I think, you know, a big mistake too, oftentimes, is people think that you've got to do it all at once. I think negotiations often have natural moments in which you can pause and allow that pause to send a message to the other person of, of 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 where you are, of how important this is, of your sense of urgency. It sends messages when we pause, both just in a conversation live when we're in a difficult conversation, but also inside of a multi-month, multi-you know day sort of difficult conversation. When we pause, it sends messages. So. That, to me, is, is an incredibly important thing. But you know, to me, you know, great deals aren't an accident. Great relationships aren't an accident. Great outcomes are not an accident. The ability to go back and negotiate again with somebody is not an accident. And, and that's why we, we pulled back about four years ago and built a program to help teach people how to navigate difficult conversations effectively to close better deals and
0: close them more quickly. And then you ended up moving on from your career of being a sports agent, and then transitioning to become a keynote speaker as well as an, an author of a number of books. What was your motivation behind changing up your career like that? And, and was it was it difficult? I mean, it probably was was a, a big transition there.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, Chris, it was really organic. I mean, it was interesting. So. I, I, when I was an agent, a lot of young people would call and they would say, "I want to, I want to be an agent." You know, I want to be a sports agent. And people, and and I would take a lot of these calls, and and I wanted to help people because you know you work eighty six thousand hours in your life, you need to like yeah. it, right? Yeah. And 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 then I would watch the way they would navigate the conversations, the way they would follow up, the way they would at some level recruit somebody that they thought could help them. And I thought, man, unfortunately, I'm not sure they understand how to do this. And Man, I want more people to love their work. That feels important to me. and so I wrote a book because I couldn't meet with everybody that needed and wanted and was asking for sort of support. So I wrote a book, and the book did pretty well and then you know fast for a couple of years i'm 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 with you know guys like doc and 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 Aaron Andrews and you know John Swell and all these and I started to sort of see you know the way John behaves, the way doc and 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 Matt they're not too dissimilar. The, the way they wake up, the way they believe in what they do, the way they you know, stay curious, the way they take feedback, the way they recover from adversity, the way they navigate change it's so similar. And so I'm going to write a book about that because that is really interesting. And so I wrote a book about that, which was a little bit more focused on business leaders. And, and that book's called The Business of Being the Best. And then that book, sort of, the phone would ring like Merrill Lynch and Northwestern Mutual and Morgan Stanley. Hey, will you come and talk to our team of advisors? And so, so I started doing that for fun. And then a lady, a friend of mine, said, "Are you charging for this?" And I was like, "Well, no. I mean, I book gigs for my clients, not for me. I'm happy to help." And then after a little bit of time, it was like, "Wait a minute. No, you know, you you need to you need to be charging." And so. So I started, and, and then I found myself in a really unique situation where I loved the opportunity to share what, what were really unique moments, experiences, um, mindsets that I had seen the best uh, unlock, you know, kind of had a front row seat to peak performance. And and so I spent some time sort of with my husband sort of talking about, you know, what do I want my legacy to be? Like what matters most to me? And is it to negotiate a billion dollars in deals? and you know, 400 athletes and or, you know, is it something else? And that's when I got clear that, man, you know, I feel like I can make a bigger difference on a bigger scale um, if I speak and train at, at the business level, you know, others. And so in 2010, I jumped and now, you know, we train thousands of people all over the world in, in sort of energy management work and negotiation. And then I speak, you know, 75 or so sort of times a year so. So it's really fun. And, you know, I've never, I've never looked back. Um, I still stay connected with a lot of the guys that I worked with, because I love them all, you know, to death, right?
0: So uh, throughout all that process, you know, it's easy, I think, for all of us to sometimes doubt ourselves. Did you ever doubt yourself that you would be successful in this? And and if so, how, how did you overcome that?
1: You know I believe that that if you have a really clear purpose, if you know why you're doing what you're doing, it suffocates the fear and the speed bumps and the challenges and the hiccups that come along the way and there are there are some there's plenty right I mean owning a business, running a business there's plenty of challenges. but if you know why you do what you do and you're clear enough on that it's 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 easy it's e it's not easy, but it's possible to to navigate all those challenges i mean I think about you know baseball players who would You know tear an ACL and have to spend you know uh, you know about a year or something in the minors rehabbing. But when they when they could envision themselves one day at an all star game with their kids and their wife and the crowd and their parents there, they knew why they were putting in all that work. And so you know for me the things that matter most are the emails and the notes and the comments of, man you have no idea but you know when I went through your negotiation course I came out and I you know, I asked for this in my, in, in, my, in my business or I negotiated the biggest deal I've ever done. That's my why, right? Or, or with our energy, you know, the Energized Leader Program, when I, when I help people align and when we help people align, the things that matter most in their life with where they put their energy and in turn live a life of greater fulfillment, you know, that is, you know, that's my why. And so when you know why you do what you do, I think it helps suffocate at some level or, or stifle the fear that absolutely bubbles up all the time. And I saw it with guys, right? Like, you know, when, when when a player is getting ready to take a shot and whoever it is, LeBron, I guarantee you, they feel a little anxious in that moment when they've got two seconds left and if they drain it, the team wins the game. They feel the butterflies in the stomach like us as business people feel. But what they know is they, they believe in their ability to execute inside of those moments. And they step into those with fear and a little bit of angst, like all of us do. But what happens is they know because they've done it enough that the person that comes out on the other side of those moments is a better version of themselves. So they continue to step into those discomfortable moments because they know they'll get better for it.
0: I like that. I like that envisioning the why about what you're doing, what your what your your goals are, and how you're going to get there, and keeping that in perspective when you're going through challenges. I, I also like how you related it to uh, somebody tearing an ACL and being sidelined for a, for a year or so. Because I mean that I know anybody that's listening to the show, you, you've got your your favorite athlete that you see on you know on Sundays if it's football, and they tear their ACL, and you're like, oh man like I think Saquon Barkley recently tore his ACL for all the Giants fans. I'm not a Giants fan, but for the Giants fans, they're probably like, man, this is terrible. You know, and, and uh, you love to root for those guys. When they come back and they come back even stronger, you know, not have to make a pro bowl or an all-star game. You know, that is awesome. So um, I, I really like how you put that and uh, suffocating the doubt. Um, that's pretty cool. So um, through all that, you know, you were working in the sports industry uh, and then that's a, a, a heavily male dominated industry as a, as a woman. Did you face challenges in this industry? And if so, how, how did you overcome that?
1: Yeah, sure. For sure. I mean, plenty. And, and you know, to me, I mean, there was lots of moments behind the dugout at a big league game during batting practice. Right. Where managers would yell why my players were talking. They would say, why are you talking to that chick? behind no plate. Take BP, you know, and they were talking to me about something that we needed to talk about, you know, from a business perspective. And so there was lots of moments like that. But what I tried to do in those moments is just reframe them as as gifts, right? Gifts that I'm a little bit different. Gifts that the other guys will remember me. Gifts that Mm -hmm. I can serve and connect with my players in a little bit of a different way. I mean, I I approached that whole process differently than the people that I competed with because to me, I wanted to represent an entire family, not just the player, because in in my view, right, all of us perform better in our work, when our family life, when our personal life is in sync. So, so I put a team around us to ensure that we were not only serving the athlete, but we were also serving the family. Because if you want a player to stand over a putt on a Sunday and drain it to win a million bucks, everything else in their life has to be pretty squared away. And so being a female, I think, gave me a different lens. And 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 that, and that lens served me well in my ability to truly build strong relationships, to connect. You know, after games, these guys are with, if it's a baseball player with 24 other guys, right? We call the PGA Tour a traveling circus. You know, they're around guys. So they could pick up the phone and call somebody who, you know, I played at a D1 level. I certainly didn't play at the professional level, but I kind of got it a little bit, enough that, you know, they're calling you know, me who can connect and, but I'm not their wife. I'm not their sister. I'm not their mom. You know, I I care about them unconditionally. Um, but I can also push them a little bit in a way. I think that in, in, in fact, strengthened our relationships always and built mutual respect.
0: And so from there, you know, now we talked about how you've transitioned into this role where where you're doing keynote speaking and, and you run this successful leadership program. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about your new coaching program that you're launching, Game Changer Leadership Huddles? And, yeah, for uh, sure.
1: yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we launched this inside of COVID because what we found is, you know, people are working harder and longer and differently than ever before. And people are fatigued, they're exhausted, they're burned out. And, and I believe, you know, obviously I spend a lot of time speaking, which sparks inspiration for sure. But I also believe in the process. I mean, I, I deeply believe in the process. I think for us to make change in our lives, we got to stay in the work. We've got to stay in the work. And Sabin talks about this a lot. And so what the coaching program is, which is amazing, is we bring uh, uh, hundreds of people together and, and, and once a month. And I share for about 25 minutes on a particular topic, like next month's topic is resiliency. We've talked about navigating change and uncertainty, You know, managing your energy more than your time. So we have a topic every month. I share, we go to Q&A, we sometimes break folks up into group for some conversation. And then I take them through a worksheet specific to that particular topic to make it personal to them so that we can really make that topic, that issue, that opportunity for growth both Real for them, and then once in a while, I bring some really cool guests on the show, you know, and that's really fun. Or on the coaching program, and you know, next month, I've got Inky Johnson coming on, who is an amazingly inspirational guy who you know was paralyzed sort of on the on the his right arm was paralyzed, you know, four games before he was going to be a first round draft pick in the NFL. Oh my god, and he's an amazing man! I mean, Inky Johnson, people should check him out. So he's he's coming, so I'll have him come on to talk about resilience, talk about a guy that knows how to do navigate yeah. tough moments and he's turned his life into um something that i know when he was you know a player at tennessee never expected it would be but as he says it ends up being a real gift and so inky's coming on to talk about resilience and i'll grab Smoltz at times i'll grab other clients at times to come on and talk about a particular topic and inspire the group so it's really powerful and it's really fun and you know it's in 57 minutes or less my promise is to folks that we're going to make change on a particular topic or issue in less than an hour and make it personal to you. So it's awesome.
0: That is really cool. And I love the story of resilience. I'm going to check out Inky Johnson after this for sure, because I, I personally, I've, I've never, I've never heard of Inky, but that's, that's amazing. Right before he's about to be drafted, he ends up hurting. You said it was his shoulder that he hurt. Yeah, that- he's
1: paralyzed. His entire right arm is paralyzed.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah. Wow. He's unbelievable.
0: Wow. Um and then to close us off here, uh, I know when I was listening to you speak to my company, you shared a, a really cool story about John Smoltz transitioning from being a starting pitcher to a reliever. And, of course, you know, it, as any sports fan knows, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, closer ever, John Smoltz. Um, how did you help him to come to that decision? To, I mean, that's he's a Hall of Famer.
1: yeah. Well, it was John's decision. I mean, for sure. I mean, John's a guy that isn't afraid of change. He's not afraid of discomfort and and viewed it as an opportunity to contribute to his team in a way that they needed him to, in a way that was different than what he certainly had been doing. But he's a guy that loves, uh, you know, sort of pressure. He wants the ball when it's tight. Um, But it was a lot of change at that phase in John's career. I mean, he, you know, had tons of shoulder surgeries, elbow surgeries. You know, he pitched every four or five days and now you know, he's in the bullpen potentially pitching day after day. So, you know, for John, it was about others. It really was. It wasn't about John. It was about Bobby wants me to do this. The team needs me to do this. These 24 other guys need me to do this. And if I'm a team guy, if I'm a leader, if I am going to do all those things, then I need to do this. And, you know, and and then he, you know, the first season as a closer and he led the national league in saves with 55 saves. I mean, he's one of the that's only amazing. guys in the hall of fame as, as a starter and a closer, but that's who he is. I mean, he's a competitor um, and he's a giver and he's a team guy through and through. And I think that just comes through by far in that example that, that he's so eloquently illustrated.
0: Yeah. I love that story. And Molly, you know, your career has been so amazing. So we're really, really excited that you could join us today on the show. Uh, I'm sure that the listeners will really enjoy this episode a lot. Um, Anything you want to plug before we close off the episode here?
1: No, Chris, thanks for the work that you do. And uh, we can support anybody. It's mollyfletcher.com and certainly happy to do it.
0: Okay, great. All right, Molly, thank you so much for being on our show today
1: it's a pleasure man thank you
0: we hope you enjoyed that incredible interview with molly fletcher and to check out molly's new monthly coaching program game changer leadership huddles head to mollyfletcher.com also be sure to hit that subscribe button to check out all the new heart of the game episodes as soon as they are released